Welcome. I'm Leslie Canham. I'm Mary Gavoni. I'm Linda Harvey. I'm Olivia Wan, and together we are the Compliance Divas. Welcome to the Compliance Divas podcast. This is Linda Harvey, and I'll be serving as your moderator for this episode. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating the regulatory world to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. Any resources we mentioned during our podcast can be found on the Compliance Divas website, which is thecompliancedivas.com. And as always, your questions are welcome. They may be submitted to support at thecompliancedivas.com. The topic for today's podcast is monkeypox. And no, it doesn't involve a trip to the zoo. If we take a moment to reflect on the many, many changes we've experienced since the beginning of the pandemic, it's a stark reminder that we need to keep public health issues in other parts of the world on our radar. Speaking for myself, I know in the past, I would have a tendency to see something pop up on the public health radar, say the measles outbreak, for example, which peaked 1,200 cases back in 2019. But then I would just sort of let it fade away and not put much emphasis on it. But nevertheless, even though that was those things are happening on a regular basis, we need to keep them in mind more than just a passing thought, than something just briefly happening in your own community. So now more than ever, it's important to keep situations that occur nationally or even in our community or in our country that may seem like an isolated outbreak on our radars a little bit longer. And one of these emerging issues that we're going to talk about today is monkeypox. And if you're like me, most of us aren't very familiar with it until just recently. So where we talk about today, I just want to remind our listeners, this podcast is current as of July 25th, 2022. Mary, let's jump in there. May I ask you to share with, some, with our listeners some history behind monkeypox and where it was discovered and so forth? Absolutely, Linda. Um, and it's interesting to note that the World Health Organization just a couple of days ago, declared monkeypox to be a global health concern. So we may see more updates about the outbreak. So monkeypox, according to the CDC, is a rare disease caused by infection with the monkeypox virus. Monkeypox virus is part of the same family of viruses as variola virus, the virus that causes smallpox. Monkeypox symptoms are similar to smallpox symptoms, but milder, and monkeypox is rarely fatal. Monkeypox is not related to chickenpox. Now, the concern from the World Health Organization is that monkeypox, like many other viruses, may begin to mutate as it spreads, just like what we've seen with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, and then we could see some serious consequences. So monkeypox was discovered in 1958 when two outbreaks of a pox-like disease occurred in the colonies of monkeys kept for research. Despite being named monkeypox, the source of the disease remains unknown. It was named monkeypox because of where it was discovered in the monkeys. However, African rodents and non-human primates like monkeys might harbor the virus and infect people. The first human case of monkeypox was recorded in 1970, 
Prior to this current outbreak in 2022, monkeypox had been reported in people in several Central and Western African countries. Previously, almost all monkeypox cases in people outside of Africa were linked to international travel to countries where the disease commonly occurs or through imported animals. These cases occurred on multiple continents. So that's sort of the, the encapsulation, if you will, of where monkeypox came from. Thank you, Mary. That's a really good overview to give our listeners an idea of how long it's been around and where it comes from. Leslie, let's talk for a moment about, so how is monkeypox spread? And we've had so much emphasis placed on COVID and aerosols these past couple of years. How is monkeypox spread? And, and let's just ask the question, how do we kill this virus in our environment, Leslie? Well, Linda, monkeypox spreads in different ways, and the virus can spread from person to person from either direct contact with the infectious rash, scabs, or body fluids of an infected person, respiratory secretions during prolonged face-to-face -face contact, or during intimate physical contact, such as kissing, cuddling, or sex, touching items such as clothing or linens that previously touched the infectious rash or body fluids of an infected person, or as we heard from Mary, it could be an infected animal as well. And then pregnant people can also spread the virus to their fetuses through the placenta. It's also possible for people to get monkeypox from infected animals, either by being scratched or bitten by the animal or by preparing or eating meat or using products from an infected animal. And monkeypox can spread from the time symptoms start until the rash has fully healed or and a fresh layer of skin has formed. And in the, the illness typically lasts two to four weeks. People who do not have monkeypox symptoms cannot spread the virus to others. And at this time, it's not known if monkeypox can spread through either semen or vaginal fluids. Now, you can find this information on the CDC website, and I know that that'll be listed on their Compliance Divas website. But the other part of the question, in addition to how it's spread, well, how do we kill this thing? And uh, you know, on, on May 26 of 2022, EPA released a list of disinfectants for emerging viral pathogens. They abbreviate that by EVPs. We saw this list when we first were acquainted with COVID and what, uh, what disinfectants would be effective against SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. And that was list N. So we have a new list, it's called list Q. And uh, EPA expects products on its list of disinfectants for emerging viral pathogens to kill monkeypox to be listed on this list when the manufacturers submit the appropriate information. And of course, when you're using those disinfectants according to the label directions. Now, just keep in mind for uh, with EPA, when there's a rare or novel virus that causes outbreaks of a disease, there may be few or if any disinfectants that have been tested and registered for use against that specific pathogen. So to prepare for situations like these, EPA's created this emerging viral pathogen list so that uh, disinfectant manufacturers can submit data to EPA demonstrating a product's efficacy against a difficult to inactivate virus. Monkeypox actually belongs to a group of viruses that's more susceptible to disinfectants than other type of viruses. So while there's no disinfectants that are, that are called specifically registered for use against monkeypox, 
all products with EVP claims have been tested against viruses that are more difficult to kill than uh, monkeypox. So in order to determine whether your disinfectant is effective against monkeypox, there's a couple of recommendations that are given through the EPA's uh, list of disinfectants effective against EVPs. And I know that we'll have that on our Compliance Divas website as well. And there's suggestions on how to choose a disinfectant. Now, I, I want to warn our listeners that it, it's really not fair to ask your dental dealer, you know, what disinfectants are effective against uh, monkeypox? Because again, as I mentioned, you're not going to have very many products that have had, had an opportunity to submit data showing effectiveness or efficacy for monkeypox. So we have to go with the information from EPA on how to determine the strength of a disinfectant. And their steps are to choose a product. Remember that some viruses are more difficult to kill than others. And a, a disinfectant's effectiveness can change based on how you use it. So following the steps of the manufacturer's instructions and also ensuring that you choose an appropriate product is very important if you would like to have the kill claim that is desired. First, you determine what disinfectants are expected to be effective against the virus you intend to inactivate. And EPA has that EVP guidance list that divides viruses into three categories. Uh, monkeypox and SARS-CoV-2 fall into tier one which are enveloped viruses, which are the easiest to inactiv inactivate. And when some disinfectants damage their lipid envelope, the virus is no longer infectious. Now they have also tier two, which is large non-enveloped viruses and tier three, which are small non-enveloped viruses. But we have monkeypox listed under tier one. So they've given us very clear instructions on how to select a disinfectant, information on uh, how to follow, making sure that we follow the manufacturer's directions. And again, that list queue will be listed on the EPA's website. We will have that on our Compliance Divas podcast channel. Thank you, Leslie. I think Mary and I both want to circle back on some points that you just made because that was so much information. And I would like to circle back and, and then Mary, I'd like to hear what you have thought to think as well on what should our listeners take away when it comes to what disinfectants they should use at this time. So Mary, would you like to chime in on that as well? I would love to. There was a lot of controversy about this very issue in the beginning of the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. Many of you remember that. And manufacturers saying that did have their EVP claim said, oh, you can't use the other products that are not on that list N. But the EPA issued a clarification of that saying that if you used a disinfectant that has a higher level of efficacy, in other words, a tuberculocidal disinfectant, which is what the CDC recommends for us in dentistry that kills more resistant microorganisms that it will kill these tier one enveloped viruses. So I don't think there's a cause for alarm personally on the part of our dental teams right now to be looking for, just as Leslie said, that kill claim on the label, stay with your tuberculocidal disinfectant. And unless we hear differently from the EPA or from the CDC, we don't need to worry about finding a specific disinfectant to kill monkeypox. Great, Mary, that sums it up really nice. Thank you, Leslie, too, for, for opening our eyes because it's so helpful 
for our listeners to understand that as these different situations emerge, we don't have to jump into a crisis and uncertainty mode. We can follow the information that's already in place and know what our, our pathway will be to continue being safe when maintaining everything in a clean and you know, sanitary state in our dental practices. Next, let's talk about the symptoms of monkeypox. Diva Olivia Wan was unable to join us today, and she wanted to be sure that we covered the symptoms so our listeners would really be more readily able to identify whether they or a family member or even if a patient presents with these symptoms. So as Mary mentioned earlier, this is a disease, it's a rare disease, and it's uh, the infection with the monkeypox virus, and it's in the same family of viruses as smallpox. And the nice thing is about this, if there's a nice thing about any disease, is that it is milder and it's rarely fatal. So some of the symptoms of monkeypox include headache and fever, muscles and backache, and we hear a lot of those as symptoms of COVID as well, right? But this includes swollen lymph nodes, chills, more exhaustion than just feeling tired or fatigued. And in particular, the symptoms of monkeypox also include a rash that can look like pimples or blisters that can appear on the face, inside the mouth, other body cavities, including the genitals, and the rash may also be on your hands, feet, or your chest. So it almost sounds like an outbreak of chickenpox, doesn't it, when you get monkeypox? But monkeypox is not related to chickenpox. So when you think about the rash, Leslie, it makes me circle back to what you said about touching linens. So if someone has an open sore and they're in your practice, whether it's on their hands or their arms, and they're touching things in your office, especially those patient blankets that we like to use, we have to remember that they are contaminated items. They're not PPE for us as healthcare workers, but they are contaminated items in the dental operatory. So as the rash goes through the different stages of healing, if your work completes, it could typically last anywhere between two to four weeks. So we will have to see how long the medical professionals recommend someone to quarantine when they have monkeypox. Um, so this is something that will be, as we kind of go forward and understand how this disease plays out and increase in any cases in this country, um, that will all come to light on the next episode of what, how we need to manage this. Mary, let's talk about managing it. Let's circle over and talk about what are the cases like in our country now? What's going on in the U.S. with monkeypox? There's a lot going on in the U.S. right now with regard to monkeypox, which is part of why the World Health Organization has declared this to be a health emergency. Now, one of the things we haven't talked about so far is the concept of vaccinations. And there is a vaccine for monkeypox. It's not so readily available, and we haven't seen any directives for healthcare professionals to run out and get a monkeypox vaccine. But this is another one of those stay tuned as things develop. So the CDC has a tracker, just like they do for COVID-19 case outbreaks. And we will put that link to that tracker on our resources on our website. So far, there are only six states in the U.S. that do not have identified monkeypox cases. Those states are Maine, Vermont, Mississippi, Montana, Wyoming, and Alaska. The rest of the states in the U.S. have identified some cases on the CDC website, actually as of July 22nd. The total number of cases in the U.S. is 2,891. New York State and California and Illinois seem to have the highest number of cases. 
So while that number doesn't seem very large compared to the number of cases we've seen of COVID, it continues to spread. We started out with just a couple of cases, just like we did with COVID. It continues to spread. And what we still don't know is if this virus is going to mutate and make it easier to spread from person to person. So it's something to watch. As Linda said, keep it on your radar so that we know what's happening. And it may be that at some point we need to be on the lookout for those signs and symptoms that Linda mentioned. Mary, thank you. I think, you know, my takeaway from your comments are the fact that it's 44 states that have cases of monkeypox. Sure, 2,000 cases doesn't sound like a lot when you start breaking it down, thinking, oh, what's my chance of getting it? Or I probably don't have any patients that have it. Um, we have to just be mindful as to whether or not this evolves and continues to grow or whether it just kind of dies out over a shorter period of time. So very important to stay abreast of what's happening in your state and your community. Leslie, speaking of states and communities, we know that um, California has some very specific laws related to aerosol transmitted diseases. And can, can you talk to us about how monkeypox fits into what's going on in California and the requirements there? Well, Linda, monkeypox has been on Cal OSHA's radar since 2009 as an aerosol transmissible disease. And dental professionals are required to screen patients for aerosol transmissible diseases before conducting any dental treatment on a patient. So when we were first introduced to SARS-CoV-2 back in 2020, we started to step up our process of screening patients at, at entry to our dental practices and sometimes by phone ahead of time. Well, Cal OSHA has required the screening process to be in effect again since 2009. Here we are in 2022. And when it comes to complying with Cal OSHA's aerosol transmissible disease standard, dental offices have to make certain promises on what they do to prevent exposure of employees to these aerosol transmissible diseases. And the first promise is that, the, that you screen all patients before performing dental treatment. The second promise is that you have a plan, a written plan on how that screening is to be performed as part of your injury and illness prevention plan. The third promise is that all employees are trained on how to conduct that screening. So not only are patients screened and you have written plans, but employees are trained on the screening process the fourth promise that, that California dental practices have to make is that they won't perform dental procedures on patients identified through the screening process as having an aerosol transmissible disease. So any of the dental practices today in California that have loosened up their requirement for screening patients because we are seeing some of the community uh, levels of transmission dip down a little bit, they really need to be aware that community transmission of SARS-CoV-2 has increased and, and our country is in high transmission. And when it comes to monkeypox, California is number two on the list of states with the highest number of monkeypox. And here it's early in, in this monkeypox announcement of the, being a, a worldwide global outbreak. 
So I want to encourage all my California dental practices to review their screening process, to reinitiate it if they stopped at any point in time, to have the written plans, and to train employees on that. Now, CDC does give some guidance on what to do if you do have a patient who has, let's say, SARS-CoV-2 infection and they need urgent dental care. So I'm going to refer dental professionals to look to the CDC guidelines if they have a patient who has urgent dental needs and needs to be seen. And if someone has an abscess tooth and has, let's say, SARS-CoV-2 or monkeypox, um, you know, waiting isn't really an option for someone who's in severe pain. So please refer to the CDC guidelines on, uh, on how to manage care for a patient who has an infection. Leslie, thank you so much for reminding our California listeners about the requirements specific to California. And yes, uh, California and New York have uh, the two states that have the most cases at this point. So a lot to keep our eyes on. Divas, thank you for shedding some light on this evolving outbreak. It's concerning enough, as Mary and Leslie have said, that the World Health Organization has declared monkeypox a global health emergency just a few days ago. And while we're not speculating another pandemic, we do recommend that you keep your radar tuned into the case rate, particularly in this country and in your community. And don't forget to be vigilant with your hand hygiene and surface disinfectant. Thank you for joining this episode of the Compliance Divas podcast. We bring clarity and simplicity to compliance by navigating your regulatory world to keep you on course. Please subscribe to the Compliance Divas podcast through your favorite podcast channel or on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. The wonderful resources that we mentioned during today's podcast will also be found on our website, thecompliancedivas.com. And we invite you to submit questions to support at thecompliancedivas.com. Stay tuned for next week's episode on another timely topic for your health and safety.